0: Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has slow walked, oh, it's so nice to say that in the past tense, has slow walked through Dante's Inferno, the first almost third, a little more than a third, of Dante's masterwork comedy. We have finished our slow walk, as I said, through Inferno, and now we're reading Inferno straight through. This is my English translation of the Medieval Florentine. As always, I'll start with a little bit of the Medieval Florentine that opens our passage and finish with a little bit that finishes our passage, all pretty badly pronounced (laughs) Sorry about that. All pretty badly pronounced, but still there so that you remember that this is indeed a poem in a foreign language and at that, a medieval foreign language. However, this is my English translation. You can find it on my website, MarkScarborough.com or WalkingWithDante.com. I wish you wouldn't. I wish you'd just sit back and listen to the passages, especially if you've been on the slow walk with us from the beginning. Because the most important thing to know about Dante's comedy, the most important thing, I just can't, I I feel like I need an italics button verbally. The most important thing to know is that it's a plot. Its genius lies in the fact that despite all of the classical allusions, all of the highfalutin narrative pyrotechnics, all of the remakings of Ovid and Virgil, all the crazy theology and Dante's own heresies in that theology at the core, it's still a story that hangs together. That in and of itself may be the very diamond at the center of its brilliance. We're in Cantos 18 through 20 of Inferno. We have come down the cliff on Garion's back, away from the seventh circle, the violent, and into the big, giant landscape of the eighth circle, the circles of fraud. So let's get started. Inferno, Cantos Eighteen through twenty. Logo in inferno, detto malevolce. Tutto di pietra, di colo ferino. Come la cerchia che dintono il volge nel dritto mezzo del campo, maligno, un pozzo assai largo e profundo. Di cui suo loco, di cero lodin. There's a specific spot in hell called the evil pouches all the rocks are the color of iron just like the circle that encloses it all inside at the exact center of this malignant campo a very large and deep pit gapes wide i'll talk about its design Suoloco. The part that remains, this belt, is round and runs between the pit and the foot of a high, hard cliff. Its ground is divided into ten valleys. Like that spot where, to guard the walls, more and more moats are dug around a castle so that all those rings form a pattern, well... That's how these rings were fashioned, and just as from the doorstep of a castle, little bridges run out to reach the farthest embankment, so reef-like ridges ran from the base of the cliff on down across the banks and ditches until they came to the pit and joined up together. In just this locale where Garion shook us off his back, we found ourselves... The poet Virgil then held to a leftward course, and I followed behind him. On my right hand, I see new sorrows, new torments, and new scourgers all jamming the first pouch full. At the bottom are naked sinners. From the middle to one side of the ditch, they come toward us. But on the other side, they walk along with us, although with longer strides. It's the same with the Romans who, because of the vast hordes during the Jubilee year, had to find a way to let all those people pass over the bridge. On one side, they all "'Faced Castle Sant'Angelo as they went on toward St. Peter's, "'while on the other side they headed toward the hill. "'Now here, now there, all along the dark, rocky terrain, "'I see horned demons with big horsewhips "'who lash the people mercilessly from behind. "'Good grief! "'How those demons made them pick up the pace "'at the first crack of the whip!' Rest assured, nobody waited for a second strike, much less a third. As I was going along, my eyes happened upon one of the sinners, and all at once I said, I certainly haven't been fasting for the sight of that guy. So I halted my footsteps to figure out his features, and my gentle guide stopped with me and even let me back up a bit. That horse-whipped one believed he could hide from me by lowering his face. A little good it did, because I said, You, with your eyes on the ground, assuming your features haven't been falsified in some way, your Venedico Caccia How come you're held down in this rank braise? And he said to me, I don't want to say anything, but your plain speech forces me to do so, because it forces me to remember the lost old world. I was the guy who made Gisolabella submit to the will of the Marquis, no matter how the filthy story goes. And I'm not the only Bolognese wailing here. This place is crammed so full of us that not so many tongues have learned how to say Sipa between Savannah and Reno. And if you need any confirmation or truthfulness for all of this, just remember our money-grubbing ways. As he was speaking, a demon struck him with his whip and said, get on, pimp. There's no twat for you to mint into coins here. I caught up with my escort without too many more steps. We got to a reef-like ridge that ran out from the bank. We climbed up this thing quite easily and turned to the right at its spine, thus leaving behind those who endlessly circled the pit. When we were at the point where the yawns opened to let the scourged ones pass below, my guide said, stop a bit and let the sight of these ill-born ones hold your attention. You haven't seen many of their faces yet since they've been going the same way we have. From the old bridge we watched the rank and file that now came toward us from the other side, scourged in the same way by the whips. My good master Virgil, without my having to ask a question, said to me, "'Look at that great one coming toward us. He doesn't seem to shed a tear despite the intense pain. He holds firm to such a regal aspect. That's Jason!' whose courage and wits robbed the Colchians of the golden ram. He even stepped ashore on the island of Lemnos, where the bold, pitiless women put all their males to death. There, with all the gestures of love and with polished words, he deceived the all-too-young Hypsipyle, who had first worked her deception on all the other women." He left her pregnant and alone. His culpability condemns him to such torment, and thus too does Medea have her vendetta. Along with him go all those who practice deception like this. Let it suffice for you to know this first valley and those munched in its maw. We now come to the spot where the narrow alley intersected with the second embankment, which forms the base of yet another bridge. From that spot, we heard people who were moaning in the next pouch, blubbering with their snouts and thwacking themselves with their flat. The walls of this pouch were crusted with moldy crap, rising in vapors from down below, clinging to it and causing a full-on brawl against our eyes and noses. The bottom proved so impenetrable to our sight until we climbed up to the hump of the arch where the bridge reaches its apex. When we got up there, I could see well down in the sewer that people were sunk in the same kind of muck that could get slopped out of human privies. And while I intently cast my gaze down there, I saw a guy whose head was so slimed with shit that I couldn't tell if he were laity or clergy. He screamed at me, why do you seem so hungry to look at me rather than at the rest of these bastards? And I said to him, Because if I remember you correctly, I've seen you before back when your hair was dry. You were Alessio Intiminei of Luca. That's why I stared at you more than the rest. He beat his pumpkin head and came back with, All my flatteries sunk me down here because my tongue never tired of them. Then my leader Virgil said to me, Stick out your head a little farther in that direction so you can get a better look at the features of that disgusting, disheveled slut. Scratching herself with her shit-filled fingernails, now squatting down, now standing up on her feet. That's Tyus the whore. Her lover asked her, Have I gained your favor? And she said, Enough to be a marvel. That's all our eyes need to know about her. Oh, Simon Magus, oh, tortured disciples of his, you treat the things of God as fungible, you rapacious salesmen, bartering them for gold and silver, those very things that should be the good dowry of a bride. Now let the trumpet sound for the likes of you, because the third pouch holds you in place. We'd already come to the subsequent trench, having climbed up the ridge to that part that hangs out over the the middle of the ditch. Oh, wisest wisdom, great is your craft in the heavens, on earth, and in the world of evil. What's more, how just are the lots your power ascribes. I see that on the abutments and along the bottom the livid stones were full of holes, all of the same size and perfectly round. To me, They look no more roomy nor really any bigger than those that make up the baptistries of my beautiful son Giovanni, one of which, not so many years ago, I cracked open to save someone drowning inside it. Let this be my seal to disabuse everybody about that. Poking up out of the mouth of each hole were the feet and the thighs of a sinner, while the rest of the guy remained inside. All of them had the soles of their feet on fire. That's what made them kick their knees so forcefully that they could have shredded twisted vines or ropes. Just as flames only move across the surface of something coated in oil, so these flames moved out from the toes to the heel of each foot. Master, who is that one there, I ask, who twists himself and writhes around more than the others and who is sucked at by an even redder flame?' And Virgil said to me, if you prefer, I'll cart you down that easier slope on the other side so that you can learn about his transgressions and his life. And I said, for me, it's just perfect to do whatever pleases you. You are my lord, and you know I won't depart from your will. You also know the things I don't even articulate. So we came onto the fourth embankment, turned and went down on the left to the straightened bottom that was perforated with those holes. My good master pulled me to his side and didn't put me down until we came to the hole where the sinner made his lamentations with his legs. I began to say to him, oh, whoever you are, with the up part of you stuck down like a fence post, you poor soul, it's your move if you can make it. I stood there like a friar who hears the confession of a perfidious assassin, the sword who, after he's tied up, calls the priest back to slow up his coming death. And this guy in the hole cried out, Are you already standing there? I mean, seriously, already standing right there, Boniface? Then the writing has lied to me by several years. Are you already so sated by the prophets for which you didn't even fear to seduce the beautiful lady by ignominy and then to rape her? I became just like one who, after lots of mockery and without really understanding what's been said, just stands there and doesn't know what to say back. So Virgil said, Tell him straight off. I'm not the one, not the one you believe I am. And I thus replied, As I'd been told to do, at that the spirit's feet both started to kick around, then sighing, and in a voice laced with tears, he said, "'Well, then what do you want from me? If you want to know my name so badly that you clambered down that bank for it, you should know that I was once robed in the great mantle, and truly was the son of the she-bear.' I was so greedy to promote my cubs that I lined my pockets just as I fill up this hole. Down under my head are crushed the others who before me made their living on simony, all squashed into the fissures in this rock. I'll get pushed down there when the one comes who I believed you to be when I made my abrupt interrogation. But the time I have already cooked my feet and been suspended upside down like this is already longer, then he'll be planted with his reddened feet. For after him will come from out of the West a shepherd who thinks he's above the law, whose deeds are even fouler and so fit to be a lid over him and me. He will be the new Jason, the one we read about in Maccabees, the one who the king made much of, just as the king of France will make much of this one. I don't know whether I ventured to find a folly when I answered him with just this sort of verse. Hold up, tell me this. Just how much treasure did our Lord at first require of St. Peter when he entrusted him with the keys? "'I'm certain he asked no more than follow me. "'Neither Peter nor any of the other apostles "'took gold or silver from Matthias "'when he was picked to fill the place lost by the guilty soul. "'So sit tight.' "'for you are well punished. "'Keep watch over the ill-gotten canes "'that made you so very brave up against Charles. "'And if I were not otherwise kept in check "'by my reverence for the great keys "'that you once held in the easy-come-easy-go life of above,' I'd use even rougher words than these because your avarice saddens the entire world by traipsing over the good and lifting up the bad. The evangelist had your sort of pastors in mind when he saw the one who sits on the waters and screws around with the kings of the earth. The woman who was born with seven heads and who got her power from the ten horns as long as her virtue pleased her groom. You have made a god of silver and gold. What's the difference between you and any other idolater except he prays to just one god, whereas you pray to hundreds? Good grief, Constantine! You gave birth to a terrific evil, not because of your conversion, but because of your donation that let you make the first super-rich Holy Father." The whole time I sang these notes to him, whether he was chaunt by anger or conscience, he kicked out both his feet as hard as he could. I truly believe my leader was pleased with me because he gave me a look with such contented lips when he heard the sound of the true words so expressed. Because of that, he wrapped both of his arms around me, and when he lifted me tight against his chest— He went back up the path he'd come down. He didn't wear out from holding me so close, so that he took me up to the side of the arch that traverses from the fourth to the fifth dike. Here he carefully set down his burden, so gently because of the steep up ridge that would have made a hard road even for goats. And there a new valley opened in front of me. I've got to fashion verses for this new pain, and so give material substance to the 20th canto of this canticle, which is all about those who are submerged. At this point, I was as ready as ever to look down into the naked depths, which were bathed with the tears of bitter suffering. I saw people coming along around the valley's curve silently and slowly at the pace that slow processions make in our world. As I bent my gaze on down their bodies, each seemed weirdly contorted between their chins and the tops of their torsos. Their faces were twisted around the back so that they were forced to go along backwards since they were denied the sight of what's ahead. It could be that sometimes a guy with palsy knots himself up all over like this, but I haven't seen it, nor even believe it's possible, so that God may let you, reader, gather fruit by reading this. Think, if you can, how I could have kept my face dry when I saw our human image so contorted that the tears from their eyes ran down to bathe their ass cracks. Why, indeed, I did cry, leaning against one of the stones of the hard ridge, which is why my escort said to me, Are you still just another fool among so many? In this place, pity is still alive and well when it is dead as a doornail. Can any guy be less pious than the one who brings such passion to divine judgment? Lift up your head, lift it up, and gaze at the one who disappeared into the open earth right in front of the eyes of the Thebans, at which they all cried out, What's the hurry, Amphireus? Why take off from the war now? But, He didn't stop and fell all the way down, right down to Minos, who seizes each one. Check out how he's made pecs out of his shoulder blades because he wanted to see too far out in front. He now faces behind and even has to walk a backward path. See Tiresias, who changed his form from a man to a woman right down to the last detail of her body. Then he had to once more smite the two entwined snakes with his staff before he could take back his masculine plumage. Aaron's is the one who puts his back against the other's stomach. He lived among the hills of Luni, where the citizens of Carrara hold the dirt in the valley shelter lived in a cave among all that white marble from where he had an unimpeded view of the stars and across the sea. And that woman who covers her breasts with her unkempt hair so that you can't see them, and whose hairy bits then look as if they're on the wrong side, she was Manto, who searched many a land before finally she made a home in the place where I was born. I hope it pleases you to hear me out a bit on this subject— After her father had exited this life and Bacchus's city had been reduced to servitude, she wandered around the world for a long time. Way up there in beautiful Italy, there's a lake at the foot of those Alps that border Germany, on up above the Tyrol. That lake is called Lago di Garda. I believe a thousand springs, maybe more, bathed those parts up there between Garda, Valcana. Camonico and Panino, and all that water eventually pools into the lake. In the middle of it, there is an island. If the bishops of Trest, Brescia, and Verona ever went there, they might give it their blessings. Pescaria is situated there. It's a beautiful and strong armory made to hold back the Brescians and the Bergamese. It sits down at the lowest point on the shoreline. All the water that Lago de Garda cannot contain in its bosom cascades down and flows out to become a river that courses through green pastures. At the point where the river leaves its source, not far from Lago de Garda, it's called Mincio, all the way down to Governal, where it joins the Po. It doesn't have long to go before it joins the lowlands, where it fans out into a marsh in the flatlands, and where it becomes a bit fetid in the summer. When the cruel virgin passed that way, she saw the land in the middle of the fence, all devoid of inhabitants or agricultural works. There, to avoid any contact with men, she stopped with her servants, practiced her arts, lived out her life, and died an empty corpse. After all that, the people around that place settled in that very spot, a stronghold because of the swamp that encircled it. They constructed a city over her dead bones and called it Mantua without any augury. Mantua because she had first chosen the spot. There were more people there once than now before the idiot Casalodi felt the force of Pinamonte's treachery. But take care. If you should ever hear another account of the origins of my city, don't let those tales turn the truth into a fraud. And I, master, the story you've told is rock-solid and prods me to take it on faith that any other would seem no more than dead coals. But tell me, of the people who make this procession before us, do you see any others that are worth pointing out? My mind keeps coming back to them alone. Then he said to me, that one there, whose beard reaches down from his cheeks to his brown shoulder-blades, was, when Greece had been so emptied of males that you could hardly find one in the cradle, a sorcerer, and along with Calchas, he foretold the best time to set sail from Aulis. Eurypylus was his name. You well know the spot where my high tragedy sings about him, because you know the poem from front to back. The other who was so skinny around his hips was Michael Scott, who truly knew how to play the fraudulent game of magic. See Guido Bonatti, and astente, who now wishes he'd kept his mind on his leather and threads, but repents way too late. See the sad sack women who became diviners, abandoning their needles, their spools, and their spindles to cast dark spells with herbs and graven images but come along, for Cain, with his thorns, is setting on the cusp of the hemisphere's horns and setting on the waves below Seville the night before last was already the full moon. You certainly remember it did you no harm when you were in the deep wood. We kept talking and going along thusly: luna tonda non. Che alcuna volta per la selva fonda Sibi mi parlava e andavamo in troche Cantos eighteen through twenty, all the way down from those hideous whipped souls in the first pouch to the diviners, the fortune tellers that we just passed beyond with the great list of them and Virgil's story of Manto, which (laughs) corrects the story he gives in his own epic, the Aeneid. That's the passage for this reading of Inferno. Thanks for walking with me on this slow walk. Subscribe to this podcast. Rate it. I say this all the time, but I really do appreciate the ratings. It really helps. And it also, to be honest, bucks me up a little bit in doing all of this, all alone, sitting at my desk, (laughs) speaking sometimes in the void. Although I know there are so many of you doing this walk with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you that we can do this, even but <laughs> in the ether together, even somehow invisibly together. We're walking along with Dante. Come back next time. We're reading on down through the bad pouches, the evil pouches, the Jay, on down into the next pits. On the next episode of Walking with Dante, I'm Mark Scarborough, and I'll see you then.